0: Welcome to the Relatively Damaged Podcast by Damaged Parents where alone, wrong, defiled people come to learn maybe, just maybe, we're all a little bit damaged. Someone once told me it's safe to assume 50% of the people I meet are struggling and feel wounded in some way. I would venture to say it's closer to 100%. Every one of us is either currently struggling or has struggled with something that made us feel less than. Like we aren't good enough. We aren't capable. We are relatively damaged, and that's what we're here to talk about. In my ongoing investigation of the damaged self, I want to better understand how others view their own challenges. Maybe it's not so much about the damage. Maybe it's about our perception and how we deal with it. There is a deep commitment to becoming who we are meant to be. How do you do that? How do you find balance after a damaging experience? My hero is the damaged person, the one who faces seemingly insurmountable odds to come out on the other side whole. Those who stare directly into the face of adversity with unyielding persistence to discover their purpose. These are the people who inspire me to be more fully me. Not in spite of my trials, but because of them. Let's hear from another hero. Today's topic includes sensitive material which may not be appropriate for children. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended as advice. The opinions expressed here were strictly those of the person who gave them. Today we're going to talk with Belle Lockerbie. She has many roles in her life, mother, sister, step-parent or bonus parent, co-parent, cousin, aunt, author of Awkward is the New Brave, and more. We'll talk about her year of bravery. Let's talk. Welcome, Belle, to Relatively Damaged. We're so glad you're here today.
1: Thank you. I'm really honored to be here. Really excited to be on the show with you. Thanks, Angela.
0: Oh, no problem. I'm so glad that you wanted to come on the show and talk about a struggle because I know it's hard and I know struggles aren't fun. And I think you have a desire to give hope.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Awesome. Okay. Well, why don't we go ahead and start wherever that journey started for you and we'll just go through it and we'll talk about the emotions behind it and how you were able to maintain hope and have courage and be brave during those times.
1: Yeah, sure. Awesome. So I think that that word brave is probably where I can start to share my story. So when I was very little, like around about five years old, my definition of brave then was superheroes, which, you know, a lot of us can relate to And I was a massive fan of Wonder Woman. And like, for me, that was the definition of bravery at that point in time. Now, my younger sister and I had been standing at my father's swimming pool. And she believed that she could swim without any floating devices and jumped into the pool and sunk to the bottom in front of my eyes. So I lied down and I uh, reached her up and yelled for our mother who was standing in at the kitchen window. And eventually someone came and helped finish the rescue that I was involved in. And I thought in that moment that I was going to be famous, that I was going to be a hero, that someone was going to come and give me a medal. And I told everybody. And then my mother, not knowing the impact of her words, came along and said, no one likes a bragger. You need to stop telling people what you've done.
0: What was the feeling inside it when she said that did you just deflate or what? Yeah, I
1: was, I think like if I really close my eyes and I know this is podcast, you can't be doing that. I can't see me doing that, but I think that I just completely deflated and kind of went, oh, like I thought I'd done something good and now I'm being told not to talk about it. So it really, like unknowingly, it silenced me for A long time. So, in that moment, my definition of being brave or how to be brave became do good things and don't talk about them. So, over time, like from five, my mother and father divorced. Their relationship was not healthy and their co parenting relationship was not healthy either. So, they both had challenges. My dad and both my parents are deceased as well, but my dad was a functional alcoholic and my mum suffered from really big bouts of depression at certain points in time. So when I was around about six and a half, abuse from a different family member kicked in. And, and I never six said and anything. Six and a half. I never said anything to anyone about it for a really long time because I thought that I was protecting someone else and just didn't raise it. I was questioned, and I have to say I was questioned about it, but I was too scared to say anything for the impact of what would happen. So I kept quiet on that for a really, really long time.
0: Can I ask, did you, did you also see that as being a hero in some ways, to be quiet about it?
1: Yes, I did. There was one instance where I, basically my, my younger sister, who I adore, the deal from the older person was that if I said anything, that would hurt her. So I thought that I was protecting her again. And so I I chose, I didn't realize, but I chose to be quiet about that. And she had even tried to encourage me to say something, but I was just resolute that I wouldn't speak up about it. So that kind of passion of staying quiet continued in good experiences and in not so great ones as well. So it's like, I won't celebrate my success, but I'll still try and be heroic and protect people in my family and put on this happy front so another kind of turning point came when I was about 11 turning 12 my mother had a really big bout of depression she couldn't get out of bed to cook dinner for my sister and I the room was completely dark and you'd walk in there and it was almost like I describe it as like it felt like sadness was just hanging In the room. And I would try and you try your hardest to cheer someone up because you want them to get up and and be functional. And that just, it just would not happen. So those moments really sit with me around, you know, what sadness can do. So I'd kind of been quite resolute in my teenage years that despite any of these events, I didn't want to turn out like my mum and I didn't want to turn out like my father. So I started to really think about how I was i was focused so much on avoiding a lot of sad things in my life that I didn't realize that I was acquiring another problem as time went on. So I just kept putting on this like brave jacket or my definition of bravery still was tied to you just keep putting on this smiley face and pretending that everything's okay. And like you you fight your battles and you don't say anything about it to anybody. And that started to change probably not for like I would say not until in my 30s so by the time I turned 34 my mother had taken her life with depression my father had died from cancer and I had my first baby so she was five months old and while I was pregnant with her I was trying to be very organized And I had sent my older sister, Juanita, a text message to say, I basically was trying to plan out my, there's a baby and it's here kind of thing. And I accidentally sent a message to my entire address book announcing the arrival of my daughter, who I was still pregnant with. (laughs) So my older sister to ring me and say, what do you mean? And she goes, I didn't think that, like, I thought you had a few more days to go. And I said, yeah, it was an accident. I'm still pregnant. I'm sorry. And then in that moment, she goes, well, I have to tell you some news. And I was trying to wait until after you'd had the baby. And that's when she told me that she had cancer and she didn't last very long. She had metastatic melanoma, which is basically where skin cancer Travels through your bloodstream, and it, for her, ended up attaching itself to major organs. So she died when my daughter was five months old, and that was really, really challenging.
0: And I it, just want to understand real quick: you're pre- pregnant when mom and dad die, or they died prior to? And then- they died. Yeah,
1: they died prior to. So my mum when I was nineteen, and that's how the relationship with my older sister restarted because I didn't grow up living with her. So family, family dysfunction is kind of something that I'm more familiar with than family function. That in itself, I think, can create some challenges because you start to, well, I certainly did, cultivated what a successful family looked like, even though I really had no blueprint for one. I'd take snippets from friends and stuff. So my mum died when I was 19. My father, so they were not together. My father died when I was 29. And then five years down the track my older I lost my older sister which was really hard
0: after the baby
1: yes yeah, after, after the baby she got to see her when she was around about 3 months old like my sister was too unwell to travel so we went to see her so she got to meet her which was really nice and then like the time just went really quickly and before i know it she was gone so with that amount of loss I have this huge appreciation of life and I have this huge desire to not have the same endings, which is great in some ways, but also creates this other problem for me. And I just didn't really recognize it for a while. So in my quest to be strong and brave, I didn't realize that I was missing out on how to be vulnerable. And I didn't make that realisation until I ran a workshop for women a few years later and it was more around like mothers who are wanting to be entrepreneurial and find a way that they could make a living and not have to do the nine to five because it's really hard to be a parent and fit in with like that, that kind of corporate standard. Right. And I like I couldn't do it. So I'm standing in this room and there is this amazing photographer in there. And she says to me, how am I supposed to be me when I'm so used to living in that corporate space? Like how am I supposed to show who I really am? So she had worked previously as a geophysicist and with the birth of her daughter and her daughter's requirements, she could no longer do that career anymore. It just wasn't going to work. So I I had said to her, like I completely Brene Browned her, I'd said, there is great strength in choosing vulnerability. And in that moment, I went internally, you are full of it. You are not being real yourself. You're being brave in the business sense. But what happened to being vulnerable out in the real world where emotions live and where like where experiencing life lives? Because I became all about work and all about my children I like all about my business and all about my children, and I was a single mum at this stage as well. So it really convicted me, and it, I wrestled with it for a while until in January two thousand and eighteen. So the photo that like I have shared a photo with you, that's taken a little bit before then. I woke up crying because I didn't I was worried for my own humanity, that I did not know how to feel sad or how to be okay with sadness and how to be vulnerable and it really concerned me that I had gone through all of these struggles only to wake up and realize that maybe I didn't really know how to deal with the softer side of life.
0: Yeah that would be really awkward I would think because Well, first of all, you are telling someone when you realize that you've been unwilling to do it yourself anyway, Mm. that being vulnerable was, I'm going to say the word terrifying. I don't know if that's the right word for you. Oh, I would say terrifying. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. And how do you shift? So when you're terrified, so it took, you said it took you time to process all of this. What was going on? How did you do that? Was it mostly thinking? Was it pondering? Was it, did it take weeks or months or what's happening in that process?
1: So depending on what I was working on took me some time. So if I wind back a little bit, I had not wanted the relationship with the father of my children to collapse. So I had this definition that a successful family meant longevity And it did not mean happiness, because for me, it was about the structure and making sure that they had stability that I did not have growing up. And then when that didn't work out and I found myself as a single mother, I remember catching my reflection and looking and going, where on earth did you go? So that was probably like phase one of realizing that I really had to do something so, from that point, it probably took me around about five months of consistently getting up and looking in the mirror and saying just one kind thing. And it wasn't any sparkly unicorn and rainbow stuff that you see with all the the self-care and self-love that tends to be out there in like, oh, you know, I'm going to get a manicure and it's self-love or whatever. Mine was really basic. It was, I have hair. And then it was, I have skin. I have, I have arms, I have legs. And I was just focused on whatever I could see in myself just to be grateful. Or I have teeth. And then I might start weaving in, I have really nice teeth and starting to really appreciate what I had, as opposed to what I did not have. So so
0: you had to go to the very, very basic. I have eyes to see. Yeah. I have teeth to eat with or chew. I, I don't know. I'm just think. and then you were able to go to the next step. Yeah.
1: And it, yeah, I did. So I struggled. Like I had my babies were really big so I have quite significant scarring and it took me a long time to be okay with that part of my body but I would work work through just these basic things and I worked on being okay with me first and then when I had the realization that it's like oh like if you're actually going to be fully vulnerable you need to be vulnerable with other people that was that became my next <laughs> that became my next level so when I woke up in tears I reached out to a friend of mine who is very open and upfront, or she was public at that time. She's taken her blog down now, and she was very open upfront in terms of how she would talk about dealing with mental health challenges. And I really admired her and respected her for that because of my own history. So I reached out to her and said, I need help being vulnerable. Can you help me? And it kind of shocked a few people because they were used to seeing me as this confident person who's got it all together and encouraged everyone. So then when all of a sudden this person is saying, you know what, I need you guys to invite me out to do stuff because as much as I'm so busy, I need to have a life. And like I'm scared that I'm not going to have one if I keep this pattern up. I need to go and experience things. So she was very gracious in agreeing to do that and then I started to map out basically what became a year of being brave and it included things like learning how to surf after 40, eventually having hard conversations around the abuse that happened just so I could put that to rest was a really big one. Putting myself back out in date land, which is completely awkward and scary, because the last time I had even ventured into that space, there was no Facebook and there was—I think—Google was very, very new. Right, it had been a long time.
0: I want to hear Uh, some stories about that. (laughs) Oh my gosh!
1: Oh my gosh! So that took a lot of courage to do that, and it would, and then I would start to, you know, really be brave about trying new things and being brave in different areas to the one that I was familiar with. So for me, business bravery was okay. Like I was okay with taking calculated financial risks. I was okay with launching ideas and seeing if they worked or they didn't work. But the heart stuff, that was re- that really challenged me. And then you start to discover these internal stories that are going on and that you can be your own struggle if you allow yourself. So it was this constant kind of it's okay if you go and learn how to surf on your giant yellow board with all of the, I wouldn't say, they're not like experienced. It's not like massive waves, but they're way more experienced than me. So it's, it's okay to be out there. Don't like, you need to stop thinking that they're looking at this mum going, what is she doing out in the, in the ocean? So you start identifying your chit chat and how you're going to address it and look to overcome it.
0: Okay, so let me, I just want to really understand this. You're even in the ocean on your surfboard or on a date mm. or and you're recognizing that your internal conversation is telling you or screaming, maybe screaming at you. I don't know. No, 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 don't do this. It's it's too scary.
1: Yeah. It's like, what are you doing? You are. It's, so my internal conversation would go, what are you doing? You're too old to do this or you're too overweight to do this or like, what are people even going to think of you? Why are you even out here? Like you shouldn't be out here. You should be back there. So that challenge in terms of what I should and should not be was like really loud. And just being brave and going, you know what, I'm going forward anyway, I'm going to do this anyway, and I'm going to get back up anyway, kind of became my motto and being okay with learning and failing and succeeding because they kind of come as a, a threesome, really, no matter what. So it was like, well, if you want to be successful at something, you could fail at it as well. And I had to be okay with different areas and start having, you know, really open conversations saying, this is new for me. Can you be my safe space? So I'm trying this out. This isn't like, and if it was an awkward conversation, this conversation is going to be really hard for me to have and it might be really hard for you to hear. And that was a complete game changer for things. So eventually... I did talk about the abuse with my surviving parental figure named Hamish. And he, I had to reconcile with that outcome that he may say no, like he has a completely new life now. So I had to let go of the outcome a little bit as well and kind of go, "What will I still be okay with the answers if he doesn't even want to entertain a conversation?
0: So you're going back all the way to the abuse and Mm. it sounds like because I heard a couple of things. So the stories you tell yourself, and then now you're addressing conflict and you're having, or having to have these really difficult conversations. And it kind of sounds like to me, part of what you're doing, you were doing at least before, and it sounds like you're trying to break out of it, is you were deciding what other people were thinking before you even had the conversation.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think we can unintentionally make assumptions about ourselves or about others without knowing a full story. And
0: yeah. So how did you, what did you do or how did you catch yourself in those moments? Like, it sounds like when you went surfing, it was, well, I'm just not going to worry about them. But in my mind, what I'm thinking is that at first, you were probably deciding that's what they were thinking, even though you didn't yeah. know what they were thinking, but that's what they were thinking about you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I was, I was, because my, my surfboard is big and yellow, it, it stands out, right? <laughs> it doesn't kind of like blend in with the ocean or anything. So, would it like, I was terrified walking down the beach with my giant yellow board, knowing that my chances of catching a wave when I was first learning were fairly small. But the good thing was, is my friend came with me. So I think sometimes when we want to be brave, that like community and having someone alongside you is incredibly powerful for those conversations. It turned out that she's, she actually gets claustrophobic with wetsuits. So that was a a thing for her to come and do. But I had to reciprocate and then be brave for her in something that she wanted to do. So that was a massive help. And then after she said, you know what, I really don't want to surf, I had to continue that bravery journey myself and go, I'm still going to go and get back out there. I'm going to fight or wrestle this little internal chit-chat until it quietens down. And it took me probably, I would say, maybe five months of continually going and then you start to get to this space of joy where you're not worried about what everyone else is thinking anymore. And you're just out in the ocean and you're having a great time. And then you start to get to the, oh, who, like, who cares? They like, they've got other things going on in their life. You start to get over yourself a little bit and realize that everyone's got their own stuff and they don't care really. And that, right. that is quite freeing when you realize that, that you care more than they do.
0: So, Belle, I have to know, did that also transition into the dating world? So, Belle, I have to know, did that also transition into the dating world?
1: Oh, my gosh. Yes, it did. So for me, the way I kind of stacked my year of bravery is I looked at all of the things that I wanted to achieve, whether it was like bucket list type stuff or learning a new skill or exploring a new relationship whether it's friendship or you know romantic and, and otherwise or having those hard conversations so I mapped out everything I wanted to do and I would always do my easiest thing first I never went straight to the hard thing right so right, right. With the easy thing so dating came way down and part of that was <laughs> there is a character in my book he is a real life person named Baker who is a physiotherapist and he looks like the love child of Bradley Cooper and Chris Hemsworth. And that's the truth.
0: <laughs> right? Ooh, so he's beautiful. But,
1: yes, very much so. But I I would have like dodgy back issues or something from surfing and went to see him to get some assistance. So my another friend of mine had recommended him. And I completely had a like a freak out because all of a sudden you're in there in like your, your mum undies with this very like attractive person going, I like I can't talk. I'm just gonna keep my head face down in like this dumb like massage bed hole thing and not say anything. And some of the questions he would ask me, I was kind of like, are you like, are you do you like think I'm interesting or something? Because I couldn't tell. And eventually I had to get the courage up to ask him what he thought of me and that was so so (laughs) nerve-wracking but he was really gracious in that conversation and I had said to him that I found him quite intimidating because basically he looks like a rock god and he would said hang on a second you think I'm intimidating like have you not looked at all of your accomplishments and stuff like I find it hard talking to you like you've got it together and blah 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 and it was a big realization to kind of go oh wow like we all have these things in common where we compare on some kind of front like we're all doing it we're not alone in our comparison traps and so that was a really big lesson for me to remember that everyone has stuff going on even even if I think that they're on a pedestal or or not. We are all on the same level if we look for that commonality of things that we're struggling with. So that was that was a really good conversation to have. And probably one of my most awkward, one of my most awkward ones.
0: So you were Um, attracted to this man. Yes. You're wondering if he, because of the questions he's asking, you're wondering if he's attracted to you. So you've like, you're like, if I don't address this, I'm just always going to wonder, is that what was happening? Yeah.
1: yeah. I'll like, I will, I will never know. And I can just like not say anything, but like, it just, I I kind of went, well, are you being brave or not? And my friends, would hold me to account because like I had told them I was committing to this year of bravery and they're like you're not being brave you're being a big chicken if you don't say anything and I'm like oh are you (laughs) gonna find out or not find out so like eventually I did like I won't tell you what happens in the end of the book but eventually I I did find out the answer to that question and had some growth moments which is probably the, the best way I can put it. but it's like it's daunting. it really is like you know starting whether it's starting up a new friendship or finding out answers to any of those tough questions that we have around our capabilities are like really they're really scary. Yeah. so it's really scary on all fronts and it is really important to be brave in the way that we need to be brave.
0: So what's another example of a time of, you know, a more specific example of that bravery in your life?
1: Well, I think the conversation that I had with Hamish about the abuse was a really big one because he had to come to the table with me. And so just to clarify, he was not the abuser, but I wanted to know if he was aware of anything that was happening because it had bugged me. So through, through my childhood, we had like my mother and father hated each other in a really, really big way. Like it was not good at all. And it had resulted in at one stage, we moved interstate, my surname was changed. And I always had this kind of question. So it probably comes down to unanswered questions really on what do you want to be brave with finding out? your own story, I guess. So I'd always wondered if maybe there was this misconception that it was my dad and that was why the move happened. So I was like, I was never hundred percent sure. And I wondered if that had any impact on my mum's mental health because maybe she had made assumptions. So I reached out to Hamish and said to him, I have a, I want to talk to you about my mother. It's not going to be an easy conversation. And I don't know if you will really like the questions, but I want you to know that it's, I at least want to know if you're up for having a conversation about her. And this is like 25 years after she's died. So it's a decent amount of time. And he says, yes, but you need to be prepared that you may not like the answers that I give you. And it was like, I went, well, okay. So I had prepared for this i had really thought about the questions and i would encourage anyone who's considering having those hard conversations to really make sure that your emotions are in check and that you can lead from a safe space so safe environment safe space really take time it wasn't something that i jumped into lightly if that if that resonates for anybody because i didn't want it to be emotionally charged I had made my peace with it, was more a fact-finding mission around did you know anything or did you not? So that conversation is, will probably stay as one of my standout ones in my life because he was courageous enough to sit down with me and hear a question and he, it wasn't the question that he was expecting to kind of mm-hmm. say, did you did you have any inkling or idea of what was going on? And for him to say yes and we tried, and we questioned you, and you said no, so we let it go, that was, that was tricky, and then to talk about some of the other things that had popped up with my mum in particular, and her mental health struggles, it was a really big shift in terms of going, well, I can't change the past, no one can change the past, but at least I was brave enough to ask that question and and kind of whether he had agreed to the conversation or not, that was the bravery for me is to say, are you up for this question? Because I would really had to make peace with a yes or a no before the conversation even happened.
0: So you're coming to him with the questions about abuse and he realized that beforehand or,
1: or no, no? No, I think he was expecting it to be more about my mum or his relationship with my mum and how he had impacted my mum's marriage with my dad, because like and that's what I mean, like when it was when I say a little bit of family dysfunction, it was pretty, pretty messy. So when I approached that topic, but he was incredibly gracious. Like he teared up when I asked him and, you know, and I said to him, This is not a witch hunt. I'm not looking to accuse anyone. I just I don't want to have the last parental figure in my life pass away and me have unanswered questions not that he was like he wasn't on his deathbed or anything but I just didn't want to have that happen because my mother I'd never had a conversation with her about it my father never knew and I'd never raised it with them because of like I was scared of like their repercussions or what would happen so I just kept it silent for a long time and I didn't want to I didn't want that topic to be silent forever so. like you
0: needed the answers
1: all right. I at least needed to know that I had tried to find the answer. Okay. So if that said no, then that would be fine. I would leave.
0: Mm-hmm. I would leave it at that. And you said he teared up. So they had come to you years and years ago. You thought you were being a hero to yeah. not talk about it. And now so many years later you're saying you're thinking, I need to make sure I address this. Yeah. Even if it's painful.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. And and really think about how I was going to keep emotions in check. So I'm sure for for his experience, because he teared up and I didn't. And I reached out and I said to him like it like it's okay, not condoning anything that happened, but his like his emotions are okay. But I probably came across as a little bit numb to it because that was the way that I had to prepare to make sure that I could handle that conversation because I didn't want to have didn't want to have anger or hurt or anything spill over and take control, I guess, of the conversation that needed to be had. So it was really important for me just to maintain my composure and know that I have healed from all of those things. So it was was really powerful.
0: Would you say you in some ways, healed before the conversation. You just needed to have it to clarify things, or, yeah. or was there also some healing that happened after, or both? I'd-
1: yeah, I would say both. I'd needed to make peace with it myself because, as I'd shared, I'd worked so hard to avoid certain outcomes, and like when a trauma or a trial would come up, I would almost have this resolute um, thinking that's not gonna like that's not gonna take me down. I'm not going to let that stop me living life or anything so for, because for me it was around giving more control and more power to a situation than was necessary I just didn't realize that it still influenced things anyway
0: so it was still influencing your choices is that what you were trying to say yeah yeah because you still- hadn't because you hadn't dealt with it it was still impacting yeah you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It was still impacting me. So I think it was more my position that I wanted to be so in control of my life that I didn't really understand. I didn't know how to be vulnerable and, and ask for help. I just was like, I will be the person who helps everybody. But when it comes to me asking for help, it's like, no, like, I'll just I'll just avoid that. I'll just sit that over in the corner and leave it there. So it wasn't until I started to realize those things that I went, oh, wow, like, you can avoid things as much as you want, but you're going to acquire something else in that process anyway. And to really start to look at, I don't know that balance is the right word, but just more look at the awareness of things to go, well, who who are you now and what are your values and how do you, adjust them as life changes in terms of like you still hold them true but it might be just little tweaks in terms of how you respond to things and how you have these big conversations and even watching as a parent on how you know how i really encourage my children to speak up so sometimes they might come across as they're quite forward but it's like i always want you guys to have a voice even if you don't agree with what mum's saying i want you to speak
0: yeah that's hard to teach children may i ask how old they are
1: they are now 12 and 9 and okay. I do have two two bonus children as well who are eight and five. So, yeah, but it, it is funny because then you start to hear your parenting reflected back to you sometimes when sibling conflict breaks out and someone's not taking ownership of someone and you hear them say, can you just take ownership of your actions because you're deflecting right now? And I'm thinking, oh, just
0: <laughs> your kids are saying this to you.
1: Yeah. <laughs> or they're saying it they're saying it to each other they're saying it to each other and I just hear them go their favorite is you're deflecting you're not taking you're not sticking to the issue because it'll be like as soon as they've done something wrong it's like well you did blah blah it's like stop deflecting and I just go oh my
0: goodness like that's awesome
1: their mother too many times
0: well but what great communication that you know it's like wait hold on no this is the issue at hand this is what we're yeah. talking about we're not talking about that right now yeah
1: yeah there's there's no kind of like oh look squirrel happening in in the house it's like you stay on topic
0: <laughs> oh and they're they're young between yeah. five and 12 was the five oldest right yeah. yeah that's young yeah, yeah. I know one of my daughters I showed, it's the the one by, I think it's called Experimenter, uh, the Stanley Milgram where experiment where they shock just for the simple reason that there's someone standing, you know, sitting in the back of the room yeah. in a white coat. People yeah. kept going on with shocking instead of saying, no, it's not okay. And I'll tell you, I mean, I did it because I also wanted her to have, she's my youngest and I wanted her to have a voice and- and I'll tell you, it's opened up a can of worms. I'm so glad that it's opened the can of worms. And I'm so sad at the same time like you because I she will call me out, you know? Yeah. And so in that way, I'm glad. And I think what for me I'm realizing is I'd rather have her call me out than, than not. Yeah. So I'm not sure if you feel the same way with yours.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one of the things where, you start to recognize that our children are going to assume like they're going to pick out things that they like about our parenting that they don't like about our parenting, no matter how aware we may be and how much we try, they will still have those moments. And I've seen my daughter have this moment too in the car where she's just given me that look of when I grow up and become a mum, I'm not going to do that. And I caught it and I had a conversation with her about it. I said, you know, Abby, I said, did you just think this, and I gave her the phrase, and she's like, how did you know? And I said, because I did it too, and it's okay that you're doing that. It's just be conscious of how far you push it from one side to the other as you make these decisions. I said, because that's what Mum wasn't aware of. Like I worked really hard to avoid lots of things. And I ended up with other things in the process. So just, just keep that in mind when you, when you make your parenting decisions.
0: Yeah. Right. So it sounds like what you were telling her is by avoiding one thing, yeah. you may inevitably crash into something else Yes, absolutely. without realizing yeah. that that's where you're going. And so What was your crash? What did you crash into to realize?
1: I I would say I crashed into vulnerability in a really big way. Yeah. Yeah. That was my crash vulnerability and probably being okay with sadness was the big one that like that sad emotion, because for me, it's so attached to like mental health and depression and like the resources back then were completely different to the resources now. So it's one, it's probably the first thing whenever I'm coaching people that I talk about and I share my story on that is if you're concerned about your mental health, please go and get help with it because, you know, sometimes when we talk about bravery, sometimes getting out of bed is brave enough. Just like getting through a day is brave enough. You don't have to do anything else. That's enough. And just know that you are needed here for a long time and you will you will get through whatever your storm is that you've crashed into. You will get through it. You just need to take that courage and just ask for help or make it out of bed or whatever it is and celebrate those little things. And if it is similar to me, I have hair, I have teeth to eat with, start at the basic level.
0: Yeah. And it sounds like that I, and I didn't put this together until just now, but mom had mom suffering from depression means that sadness would also not just be sad, but scary in some ways.
1: Yeah, very, very scary. So to the point that, I will choose happy because I'm like, you know, with those conscious and unconscious choices, I was like, well, I don't, want, I don't want to have that fate, so I'm just going to choose happy. And that's where it becomes like this mask of, oh, geez, Belle's really like, she's really happy, never would have guessed any of the stuff in her life and it's because I worked really hard to avoid sadness.
0: So how did you get comfortable with it then?
1: I think it's a process and it is being open and courageous and getting people to hold you to account and recognizing that it's like some of my friendship circle didn't know how to deal with that, that kind of shift in me on, I need help being vulnerable. And some did, they were amazing. So you've got to work out who your safe spaces are, I think, and how you're that safe space for yourself at the same time so and start to make peace with it so for me it's that differentiation of going like i'm feeling sad today versus depression means consistent sadness and consistent change in thoughts where they're not healthy thoughts and you need to go and reach out for help and have a conversation with some with a professional preferably about it so that you can get help the same way like when i talk to groups i would almost say if you break your arm you go and see a doctor to have it reset If you're experiencing a break in your thought processes, please go and speak to someone to help get them reset as well. So Mm -hmm. really important.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it didn't just happen overnight. Like you said, it took time of appreciating just those small things about you.
1: Yeah, yes, that's right. And I think so with change, sometimes we do, and I mean we do live in a world of like, instant gratification where you can order something and it turns up at your doorstep like same day so those personal changes do take time and if you feel like you're not making it on the, the very first day or the very first week or the very first month that doesn't mean that you're doing anything wrong it's just like keep just keep going and keep being kind to yourself in the right way so have the kindness that's encouraging not the kindness that's complacent
0: Okay. So when you were in the midst of saying, I have nice teeth, I have nice eyes, those things, I'm thinking that wouldn't last all day. And some of those negative thoughts would come into to your mind. So what yeah. did you do in those moments? I would catch them.
1: So I have this saying that I share with people around like, catch that thought, challenge it and work out whether it's being helpful or unhelpful and then choose what to do with it. So do you want to choose a healthier one? So that takes time in terms of developing that awareness. So I would catch myself and go, oh, hang on. This isn't what your goal is at the moment. Your goal is to be kind to yourself and to get up and look in the mirror and remember who you are and why you're here. Because I did like, I'm so grateful that I took that photo that day because I wanted to remind myself of what my bottom looked like really of what that geez, I have gone through so many fights and battles that I don't think I've got anything left. I wanted to remind myself that I could also be the value and not just the cost. So Yeah,
0: that's and that's hard to get to. I just have another thought came into to my mind that sometimes when with those negative thoughts would you ever beat yourself up before you caught yourself or when you caught yourself, would you beat yourself up or would you, were you really good at that point about giving yourself a hug and being kind to yourself? Do you see where the, what the question is? Yeah, it look, it
1: takes time. I could still beat myself up. And I mean, more recently I've had some health issues where, My thyroid is not functioning as it's supposed to. So I could just eat a piece of lettuce all day long and I will still gain five pounds in a week kind of thing. So it can still crop up in different forms, but it's just to go, you know what? I am worthy of being kind to myself. Like I'm worthy of the same kindness that I extend to other people. And it takes time at certain points to reel those thoughts back in and go, you know what? It's okay. You'll figure it out. You've you've made it to here. So just need to like make it through today and reset and appreciate the good things in life I really do try and focus on waking up and just being grateful to be awake and that's for me that's how I try and start my days and of course like I'm human I don't get it right every day I don't know anyone who does but it's just to be kind through those moments I think and say it's it's okay to have an off day today but I'm not going to live there permanently I'm just gonna I'm just gonna visit my off day and then I'm gonna' work to get back to my happy day
0: I like that idea of visiting the off day and being okay with it yeah yeah because I think in a way that's what you're saying is be okay that it's just an off day
1: yeah very much so because thinking that you can be this is my personal thought but thinking that you can be happy 24 7 365 days a year I think is an unrealistic expectation to put on ourselves humans have all kinds of emotions that we get happiness sadness joy anger frustration it's all on how we manage them and and where we put them and how we put them on ourselves and put them on each other that really makes a difference
0: yeah for sure okay so three things you want the audience to walk away with you know, i mean we've gotten plenty of tidbits along the way but three things that you want the audience to walk away with uh tools or tips
1: okay All right. So tips first, be kind with yourself, not be complacent. So still have courage to do that scary thing. That's probably like tip number one. Tool number two is around thought editing. So catching those thoughts, challenging them and work out whether they're helping you move towards your goal or they're holding you back and then choosing a more healthy one. And then the third one really is we are all brave in our own way. So you can, and bravery does feel awkward, like change feels awkward. So as you go through it, make sure that you are being like having your greatest adventure and being the safe space for others who are attempting to do the same.
0: That's awesome. I love that change can be awkward. Very. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on today, Belle. I so appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Angela. It's been so lovely talking with you. I appreciate being a guest.
0: No problem. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Relatively Damaged by Damaged Parents. We really enjoyed talking to Belle about how she learned to be brave. We especially liked when she spoke about being brave, even when it was hard. To unite with other damaged people, connect with us on TikTok. Look for Damaged Parents. We'll be here next week, still relatively damaged. See you then.